we get back there, awesome. Well, good morning, 11 a.m. Hey, I want to welcome you guys and also welcome our uh, online crowd uh, that, that watch. We have a great following, but man, I want to thank you guys. I know you missed an hour of sleep, but guess what? You get that extra daylight in the afternoon. How many is excited about that? Well, sometimes you have to suffer loss to gain. Just remember that. Hey, a couple things before we kick off. Uh, centuries, man. As you see, we are in full swing. Uh, as you, The next few weeks, you'll even see the stage transform even more. Um, no, we did not have like a fashion show for you today, uh, but this will be part of our drama. So catwalk, no, no, that's all right. Uh, anyway. Uh, but I encourage you, pick up some flyers on your way out. We have several flyers, only a few posters. Uh, please, don't pick up those flyers if you're planning on them just sitting in your car. We need you to hand them out because one, we believe one invite can change a life. We believe that. We believe that. And so uh, we're ex I'm excited about this year. Uh, in case you did not know, there's some things that go around, on around the church here throughout the week. Uh, Rick Warren says something years ago that really uh, stuck with me. He said, don't build a church, a building that is only used once a week where you people gather, but then the rest of the week. Let me tell you, this church has got something going on almost every night. Uh, Monday night, uh, back when COVID hit, AA reached out to us because uh, they had closed down pretty much all the other places. No, we can't have that here. And they said, do you mind if we use your fellowship hall? We said, absolutely not. You can use it. And, and so we've been, they've been going strong. They have anywhere between 60 to 80 people every week showing up. Um, on Tuesday night, uh, oh, on Monday, well, well, that's Tuesday nights, right? And then Monday nights, we have some small groups that are going on here. Wednesday night, we've got our uh, Wednesday night connection, which if you've never been, come out. This Wednesday night, you'll get to hear the uh, Pastor Ben's dad teach. Stacy's going to be teaching this Wednesday. We're excited about it. He's going to talk about how to be humble and calm and quiet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Thursday night we've got CR that meets here. Yeah. And I don't know, Danny, y'all remember this when I gave y'all that word and said, listen, this when it first started, because it was pretty much you guys, me, and maybe a couple other people. And I felt like God said, Hey, don't despise the small beginnings. And man, it is growing. We're seeing people come to Jesus at these, I'm telling you, that's Thursday night at 6 p.m. They serve a meal, and then at 6.45, class begins. And then Fridays, we've got hope. Uh, I, I'm not been, to, well, I'm being to one of these, but Deborah Mathers attended one of these a couple weeks ago, and I think she's been going, and she asked my, asked my wife, and they said, have you been to one of the Hope meetings? And they are powerful. So if you need more information on that, give it, let us know, we'll, we'll put you in contact. It is a ministry for those that deal with depression and different things along those lines. So, uh, man, but I'm excited. Are you ready for today? Oh, I'm going to try it one more time. 
because I just did not feel the love. And, and I'm operating on 10 cups of coffee and one hour less sleep. So are you ready for today's message? All right. Hey, how many knew it was uh, that March is uh, Women's History Month? I didn't either, so, <laughs> and I started to get up here and say, hey, today's message is because of March being Women's History Month, but really it's not, uh, it's just what we had this week, uh, but we've been looking a lot at the men disciples and and, and how they, they're follow, following what it looked like with Jesus, but today I want to look at a couple of different women. And what their following Jesus looked like and how it impacted history. And when I tell you where we're going to be today, you're going to say, well, that has nothing to do with following Jesus. But I'm going to show you where I believe it sets an example for us. So if you want, if you got a Bible, physical Bible, app, or whatever, want to turn with me, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. If not, I'm going to put it up here on the screen, as Casey calls it, the Sky Bible. Uh, how many are familiar with the story of Ruth? How many are, you're, you'd be honest, I'm not, I know I've heard the name, but I'm not totally familiar with the story. Because, man, I hope so, because, man, this is a good story. Uh, it, it's a great story. But it, Ruth opens up with probably the first four or five verses, some of the most depressing verses. Uh, like, um, if I go to a movie that I know, know you want to see, and you're like, oh, oh Pastor Kevin, don't, don't tell me anything about the movie. I don't want any spoilers. I would probably say something like, I don't want to spoil anything, but everybody dies. <laughs> you know, whether they did, they don't, but that, that would be my thing. Well, let me tell you about the book of Ruth. It opens up. And about verse 5, you think pretty much everybody dies. I mean, it opens up with, with this guy named Elimelech, and uh, there's been this severe famine throughout Bethlehem, Judea. And Judah, so Elimelech gets his wife, his two sons, and they head to the country of Moab. Now, depending on how fast they walked, the conditions, it would have took them somewhere between seven to ten days to walk that. And so in verse 1 and 2, we get introduced to Elimelech. Elimelech. Say that three times. Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech. Uh, verse 3, here's what it says. And Elimelech dies. We are three verses in, and this man who moved his family to save them, he dies. And it doesn't tell us what happened, just he dead. That's all we know. He's dead. And listen, I understand, especially with it being Women's History Month, in this culture we're living in, in this world we're living in, a woman's supposed to be strong, independent, take care of herself. She don't need a man. But let me tell you, in the culture that Naomi lived in, a husband was her security. It's where she got her identity from. And here we are, three verses in, and her husband dies. Well, her two sons end up marrying a Moabite, uh, two, uh, these Moabite women, one named Orpah, not Oprah, and the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. The husband died. Her son's married to, to uh, Moabite women. They've been there about three years. And in verse 5 says this, Both Malon and Kilion also died. That's her sons. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her 
husbands. See, this wasn't just the loss of sons for her. Because after the death of her husband, it then went down to her sons to provide and take care of mom. But now that's gone from her. She has no security. She has nothing there. And it's no longer just her. Now she's got to be worried about her daughters-in-law. Because their husbands died. So you've got Naomi, who is Hebrew. And then you've got Ruth and Orpah, who are Moabites. Let me tell you how the Moabite nation came about. It's not a pretty story. Uh, uh, the, before God destroyed what we know as Sodom and Gomorrah, he warned Lot, get your family, get out, I'm about to destroy it. Lot left town and, and with, his, with his daughters, with his wife on the way up. His wife takes one last look. Bam, she gets turned into a pillar of salt. Well, then Lot and his two daughters go hide out in a cave. And then the older daughter starts talking to the younger daughter, says, hey, her dad's getting old. I'm telling you, if you don't read the Bible because you think it's boring, see, their dad's getting old. There are no men around. Let's get dad drunk, and we'll sleep with him to get pregnant. And they did just that. First the older daughter, then the younger daughter. Both of them end up pregnant. The younger daughter names her son Ammon, which is the father of the Ammonites. The oldest daughter named her son Moab, who would become the father of the Moabites. Out of that incestuous relationship comes two powerful nations. Now, the Moabites were a pagan nation. Uh, they were polytheistic uh, uh, in meaning they had many gods. And, and I said all that to give you some references as to the two very different backgrounds that Naomi was coming from and Orpah and Ruth were coming from. Because you got Naomi, a Hebrew from Judah, her husband dead, her two sons dead, no security, no identity. As far as she can see, no future where she's at. So she says, we've got to pack up and I'm going to go back to my homeland. I'm going to back there and maybe somebody will take me in. And so she gets her two daughters-in-law and this is where we're going to pick up the story in verse 7 of Ruth 1. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living. They took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. Verse 9, may the Lord bless you with the security, because I can't take care of you, of another marriage. Then she kissed them by, and they all broke down and wept. What happened between verse 7, where they all load up, they're heading back to Judah, heading back to Bethlehem, and then two verses later she stops and says, guys, go, go back to your homeland. I believe what is revealed here is Naomi's heart for her daughters-in-law. She loved them, and she thought, I have nothing to offer them. She's going, it's great. She's enjoying the company, but then I think somewhere in the process, she's like, what am I going to do with them? You, you guys need to go back to your, to your mothers, go back to your homeland, and, and, and have, a, have a life there. You're still young. You're still beautiful. Uh, you can go find a husband and, and have some kind of security. Ruth, Ruth and Orpah both say, no, we want to go with you, with your people. That was in verse 10. And here's how Naomi 
Here's, she wanted what was best for these girls. Here's how we know. Verse 11. Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who'd grow up be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? Of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She's trying to get them to make a sensible decision, a decision that makes sense. So I don't have any more sons. Even if I were to get married tonight and get pregnant, are you going to wait for those boys? I mean, I know there are some people that are into older women, but this would be a little ridiculous. You know, so are you, are you going to wait around that long for my boys to get there? No, she said, go back. You have a chance at a good life. So, so go, I, I, I just go back to your homeland and I'm going to Judah to hopefully find somebody to take care of me. But you girls, you're young, you're beautiful, your whole life ahead of you, go back. And this is where a decision would be made that would change not only their destiny and their future, but ours as we know it. We'll look at that. Look at verse 14. Again, they wept together. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law, she's made the right choice. She's being smart about this. She's going back to her people, to her gods. Go, do the same. And then Ruth says, don't ask me to leave you and turn your back and turn back. And this next part gets quoted a lot in wedding ceremonies. It's beautiful. It's great because Ruth, Ruth looks at her and says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Isn't that beautiful? But the problem is, I think, in ceremonies, we stop right there because Ruth has another sentence that I think we might all start adding to the wedding ceremony. She says this, uh, wherever you die, I will die. I'll be buried there. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Congratulations, you're married. <laughs> Come on now. What if we add that to it? Listen, let's move on. I could preach here, but let's move on. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. I'm going to really condense this story in about 30 seconds. They go back to, to Judah. Uh, Ruth, man, she, she doesn't settle for any man. God puts her right in the position to meet her man by, that, that would bring redemption to her life. His, his name is Boaz. Now, don't, don't bring that slide to you. I, single ladies, how many single? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm saying you're not married, not dating. It means you're not Married. How many single ladies are in the house? Raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hand. You're not married. L listen, I know there's more than that. Jaden's married? Wow, you're young for that age. 11. She got married. Praise the Lord. Um, we are in Tennessee. Let's move on. Um, she met him at her family reunion. Give her a break now. So, but here, if I, listen, I want to do a public service announcement to the single ladies. 
young, old. Listen, Ruth waited for her Boaz, B-O-A-Z. Let me tell you, bring that up slide. Don't, ladies, don't settle for his cousin, broke ass, po-ass, lying ass, cheating ass, dumb ass, drunk ass, cheap ass, locked up ass, good for nothing ass, lazy ass, and especially his third cousin beating your ass. Wait for your Boaz. Wait for your Boaz. Amen. If that offends you, I'm telling you, you're really not going to like this place anyway. So, um, seriously, this is a, it's a beautiful story of love. And we're like, they're taking pictures right now. Go ahead and get your picture of it. Hey, thus saith the Lord, that's for you. So, that's right. <laughs> so, listen. But what does this have to do with the anatomy of a disciple? We're going to look at it because I actually believe the way Ruth followed Naomi reveals three characteristics as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus. It's the way we are to follow Jesus. I believe there's three characteristics. I'm going to give you those three right off the top, and then we'll talk about it as we go. If you're taking notes, here, here's a characteristic of a follower of Jesus. You follow even when it doesn't make sense. Nothing made sense about Ruth's decision. Nothing. To continue on with a widow that could not afford to keep her up, had nothing for her. Secondly, you follow even when it's difficult. Even when it gets hard. Thirdly, you follow even when it's risky. Even when there's risk involved. That's tough for people like my wife. My wife is not a risk taker. The biggest risk she ever took was marrying me. That was risky. Could have gone several ways. But <laughs> thank, you. thank you, babe. Thank you. It paid off. That's right. Uh, but she doesn't like, like, she doesn't mind if I go skydiving, scuba diving, if I go bungee jumping, if I jump off cliffs uh, at the lake. She doesn't, she'll watch me do that all day long. She doesn't want to do it at all. Amen. Thank you. She, she, she said she wants to know every possible outcome of the situation. Anybody else like that? Uh, she calls it, uh, what's that word? Uh, being responsible. <laughs> She wants to look at it from every angle. Me, I'm like, hey, let's make a decision. If it doesn't pan out, we won't do it that way again. Let's just go for it. I mean, who knows? I was watching the, uh, I was watching the Tennessee-Kentucky game yesterday. Go Tennessee, baby. And, and I love the, the uh, Kentucky, after their huddle, they come back out on the court, and one of the reporters was saying, do you know what their coach just said to them? said, if, if you have an open shot and don't take it, I'm taking you out of the game. See, I, I'm, I'm going to take the shot. I may not make it nine times out of the ten, but the one time I do make it, I'm going to celebrate like I make every one of them. Come on. But she wants to know the outcome. This presents a problem when it comes to following Jesus. And for some of you, because here's this. You can't follow Jesus and be a control freak. Hmm. You can't truly be his disciple 
and at the same time want to control every outcome, every decision, everything in your life. You can't follow Jesus and do that. You can't follow Jesus and expect there not to be risk involved. You can't follow Jesus and expect it to always make sense. You can't follow Jesus and expect not to have some decisions that you've got to make that are going to be hard to make. You can't. For you, following Jesus, being a disciple, is all of those things. It's risky. It's inconvenient. It, it, it's uncomfortable at times. It's going to cause you to risk. It doesn't make sense. And if you're not willing to do that, then I would say you're only simply fond of Jesus and not a follower of Jesus. Let's go back to the story of Naomi and Ruth. Verse 14, this is after Oprah kissed her goodbye and all that. Again, they wept together. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth, what did Ruth do? She clung tightly to Naomi. Orpah's decision made sense. Nobody looking on said, oh, that's a terrible decision, Orpah. Uh, no, uh, she said, I'll go back to my homeland. I'll find a husband. I'll make a life for myself. That makes sense. I mean, let's, let's be honest. If we're looking, if we're taking just an outside look at this, who made the better decision here, Orpah or Ruth? Orpah. I'm going to go back to my home. I'm going to go back to my people. And they'll, my, my family will take care of me until I can find a husband that will take care of me. And so she says, I'm going back. And no one would fault her for that decision. Ruth's decision, though, made no sense at all. You want to sum up the story of Ruth? Here, you can sum it up with it like this. Ruth's story is a story of following and obeying no matter what it cost. That's the story of Ruth. I'm going to follow. I'm going to obey. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm in this for the long haul. And that's important to us because following Jesus isn't always going to make sense. Can be in, let's be honest. It would be easier to follow Jesus if it always made sense, right? I mean, it just would be. It's easier to follow Jesus when we can see the outcome. It's easier to follow him when it's convenient or when it's comfortable, or when it doesn't require much from us. It's easy to follow Jesus. It's easy to follow Jesus when what he believes lines up with what we believe. Hmm. When those things happen, man, we light social media up with memes. I am too blessed to be stressed. Hallelujah. God is good all the time and all the time is God is good. We're singing, oh, he loves me. Oh, how he loves. Come on, y'all know it. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. But what about when life gets sideways? When it's not that convenient to follow Jesus, when it's not that comfortable, when it doesn't make sense, then you go from, does he love me? Oh, does he love me? Then we say, what's going on, God? And then, and then we, we still post on social media. But it is some of the dumbest, narcissistic, all about you crap that I've ever seen on social media. Can I make it plain? Oh, that's, that's not even in my notes. That's free. See, it's easy to say yes to Jesus when he's not asking a whole lot from us. 
But what about when it's like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, hey, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? Jesus said, hey, okay, you've done all that. Now sell everything you got and follow me. And he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. It's easy to follow Jesus. But what about when he asks you to be generous? What about when he says, hey, tithe? And you're like, are you serious? What about when he asks you to love and forgive someone that hurt you deeply or abandoned you? It's not that easy to follow. What about when he says, follow me, and you can't even see two steps in front of you because it seems like your world is so dark? What about when God doesn't heal that issue that you've been praying for? Can you still follow him? Can you still follow him? Follow Jesus then. It says that Naomi begged Ruth to leave her. Begged her, go, go. But Ruth clung to Naomi. She doesn't just say no, she clings to Naomi. I, I, want, to, I want to give you a clear picture of when it says she clung to Naomi. That the Hebrew word that is used here literally means this, to catch by pursuit. It's like Naomi was going, you stay here, you stay here. And, and Ruth was like, uh-uh, I'm going. And she pursues her. And it also means to be glued to. Glued to. Glued to. Hey, Ben, come up here. Let's set up an obstacle course for me. Let me find my, uh, let me find my next person. Um, oh, let's see, man. I got to find me somebody. Uh, Eddie, come up here and help me, man. Come on, I want you on this end, Eddie. I'm going to put this blindfold on. You have to take your glasses off. Here, I'll hold it. No, I'll hold it. <laughs> but we need you to have it on because we don't believe you. No, so put it on. Make sure, put it down. Make sure you can. I don't want you to be able to see anything. Can you see anything? No. So you don't see this snake I'm holding in front of you. No. All right. Now, here's, Listen. Ben's going to walk you through this obstacle course. Pay close attention to his voice, and he's going to walk you through this. Okay, go ahead, Ben. All right, take a step to the left. You're there. All right, walk. Walk straight. Straight, yeah. Oh, oh. Right. Lost the point. Right. Y'all lost the point. His right. His right. Sorry. And then uh, go to the left. And then walk straight. Good job. Good job. Now, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Keep it on. Now, that's one thing to be able to listen and try to hear where God is telling you to go. But what if, come here, Eddie, I want you to just jump up there on, on Ben's back. Cling to him. Cling to him. Cling to him. Now walk through there. Walk through there. All right, thank you, Eddie. You're good. You're good. Thank you. No, well, I can't say that. Uh, here, don't forget your glasses. 
That's what it's like to follow Jesus. Because if we're just trying to, well, where, where do I go? Where do I go? I can't see. But if we will cling to him, I mean literally jump on his back, be glued to him, it makes, it makes obstacles a lot less likely you're going to hit them. Right? Says Ruth clung to Naomi. She was glued to her. We are called to cling to Jesus. To cling to him as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. He says, can you follow me when life doesn't look like you want it to look like? Can you follow me when things don't make sense? Can you follow me when culture is telling you, hey, that's okay, this is a new world. But God says, do this. Can you follow me? And it's a whole lot easier to follow him when you're clinging to him. It doesn't make sense all the time. And I tell you, it did not make any sense at all. For two people that had no experience in pastoring people to go pastor an established church. It didn't make sense for two people that never had any desire to be pastors to go pastor an established church. It didn't make any sense for those two people to up and leave a beautiful home the home of their dreams, the church, a beautiful, incredible church they were part of, pastors that, that, that were incredible, a life they loved. It made no sense to pack up and move back home to Tennessee to pastor. Can I tell you, it didn't only not make sense to me, it didn't make a lot of sense to people looking on. Stacey Harris, I'll tell you, he was one of the ones like, whoo, this is going well. Because he knew me. But here's the thing. Following God, following Jesus is not always going to make sense. Not just to you, but to those looking on. Those watching on. Those following. And he, can I give you another truth? Following Jesus, it should not make sense to the world watching. It shouldn't make sense to them. Why? Because we are not of this world where we belong to a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that operates under a different set of standards, a different set of morals, a different set of rules. So it should not make sense. I mean, we, guys, we are of the kingdom of God that at times, a whole lot of times, it's upside down to what the world says. I mean, forgive somebody that hates me. Love my enemies? That makes no sense. Give to receive? That, that, what kind of logic is that? It's the kingdom of God. I mean, G, John 15, Jesus said, hey, as my followers, expect people not to understand when they see you do some stuff. In fact, expect persecution. He says this, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So it hates you. Then two chapters later, Jesus says this. He's praying for his disciples, his father. I'm not asking that you remove them from the world. I'm asking that you would guard their heart from evil. For they no longer belong to this world any more than I do. Back to back, back to back, Jesus said, hey, hey, you're not of this world. Don't, don't quit living like you're part of this culture. Quit living like you're part of this world. What, what looks on you? We are living by a different set of standards, a different set of morals and values. We're living by a different truth, guys. 
We're living by things like love your enemies, forgive those who do you wrong. Uh, don't, don't live your life just for you. See, our choices and our decisions, they should actually look illogical to the world watching. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. God said in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, come out from among them, be separate. See, in our world here in the South, yeah, well, the world's here, but especially because I grew up in the South, I'll pick on the South. There are different types of Christianity. You understand that, don't you? Cheap Christianity, convenient Christianity, comfortable Christianity, safe Christianity, and I could go on and on, but the truth, I believe the truth is this, the reason our world is in the shape it's in is because we've not been living by the Christianity that God set up, and you want what true Christianity is? True Christianity is committed Christianity. I'm committed. Whether it's easy, whether it's hard, whether it makes sense or not, whatever it costs me, I am committed to this. Cling to him. I'm com- Man, anybody, you ever dealt with non-committal people? Some of my least favorite people. So if this is you, I love you to death. Uh, but you ever heard of that person? Hey, hey, we're, we're, we're going to have some friends over. Uh, what, what time? I'd love to come over. Oh, seven-ish. Ish. I'm not an ish guy. Amen. There is no ish on my clock. There's 701, 702, all the way through 750, but there is no seven-ish. I don't do ish. Listen, if I tell you, hey, we're having dinner at my house at 5 o'clock, anybody that's been there knows this. You show up at 10 after 5, you'll find me sitting at the table eating because it was not 5-ish. It was 5 o'clock. Be there. And I might as well go ahead. If you invite me over to your house, hey, PK, we'd love to have you over. Six? Six good? Yeah, I'll be there at six. I come at six ready to eat. <laughs> Not sit around for 30 minutes to an hour talking about it. If you're going to do that, you got to let me know so I can pack a snack or something. <laughs> there, and I, do you know I know God is on my side on this? Because he didn't say, hey, in three days-ish, Jesus will rise from the dead. Come on. Well, I, God wants co- commitment, commitment. I can t- listen, when I married De- Denise and we took our vows, when I asked, hey, do you promise to love her the rest of your life till death do you part? I didn't say, ah, it depends. <laughs> and, you know, I'm modest, I guess, you know. It depends on how, is this marriage gonna be, thing going to be harder than I thought? Uh, let's I'll tell, let's see how it pans out. No, I, I said, absolutely, I will. I commit to her. This, the same when I chose to follow Jesus, I didn't say, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as it doesn't get too difficult. Hey, I'll follow you as long as things go my way. No, I'll follow you. I'm in this. I'm in it for the long haul. Long haul. I've surrendered my life to you. Here's the truth. I don't always get it right. And there are some days, if I'm being honest, I don't follow Jesus. There are days I decide I want to do what Kelly wants to do. But then the whole thing, me and the Holy Spirit have a love-hate relationship. I, I love the fact that he draws me in. But at the same time, man, I hate when that conviction hits you. The Holy Spirit's drugs to Kelly. Hey, you're not following Jesus. Let's get it back together.
And it sets me back on the road to where I'm following Jesus. You see, I've learned, man, to cling to Jesus, especially when things get tough. Why? I told you this last week because I have learned without him, I am not enough. I'm not enough. I need him. And I would rather walk through a storm with Jesus than walk through it without him. Come on, I would rather walk through a time of hell knowing clinging to Jesus than to walk through that wondering what's happening next. I need him. And and the thing about Jesus, see, the church for a long time, here, here was our method of evangelism. Hey, give your life to Jesus and things will be so great for your life. Jesus never said that. I mean, Jesus didn't mince words. Jesus said things like this in Luke 9, 23. You want to follow me? Okay. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. He said this in Luke 9, 62. If you keep looking back or having second thoughts about following me, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And then one of my favorites is Luke 14, 33. He said this. Simply put. If you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss them goodbye, you can't be my disciples. Well, that doesn't sound very appealing, Jesus. Jesus said, I want you to know what you're in for and why it's important that you cling to me. Because you're going to walk through seasons of your life that you do not understand. You're going to see family members walk through stuff that you do not understand. You're going to, it's going to cost you. And I want to make clear right off the bat, hey, this is the cost of following me. But it's so worth it. True Christianity is committed Christianity. God is not calling us to be committed-ish. Are you hearing me? I'm going to be so committed, so attached and glued to Jesus that nothing can pull me apart from him. I'm telling you, I want to be so, I want to be so committed, so glued to his side. It doesn't matter what the risk is I'm falling. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable it makes me. I'm falling no matter what it is I'm falling. I'm falling. I want to be clung to Jesus. I want to be catching him in pursuit of him. Remember that clung, to catch by pursuit pursuit. When I first met Denise, I began a pursuit of this woman. Can I tell you, because of that pursuit of her, some of my priorities changed? Like, it was not, I began to say stuff like, where would you like to eat? Where would you like to go tonight? What movie would you like to see? How would you like this? It became less about me and more about her. Why my priorities changed? Because I was in pursuit of this woman. That is the way when it comes to following Jesus, we should be such a pursuit of him. Our priorities change. What do you want, Jesus? Where should I go today, Jesus? What should I think about today? Where can I, who can I talk to or pray with today? Our priorities should shift. The reason some of you aren't really following Jesus is because your priorities are all out of whack. You're busy pursuing that guy, that girl, that career, that that comfort, that social status, convenience or wealth, and none of those things are inherently wrong. But when our main pursuit becomes those instead of Jesus, that is a problem. When we're pursuing him, things should change in our life. 
If I'm going to cling to Jesus, I have to pursue him. How many have kids, children that are under two or grandchildren under two? Hey, um, my youngest grandson, Sonny, is at the stage where he is very clingy to his mom. He pursues her from the time he crawls out of bed to the time he goes to bed. He is in an all-out pursuit of mama. Uh, and I could be watching him while she's gone, and he loves his papa. Anybody will tell you that. He loves me. But the moment he hears mama's voice, the head comes up. That's the way we should be with Jesus. From the moment we wake up in the morning, and all out, I mean, I'm talking about so clingy, almost to the point where Jesus would be like, Get, come on, are you serious? Back up a little. He would never do that, but that's where we need to be with him. Hold you. Okay, I heard, you know, this is one of my favorite things to hear, hear uh, Sheridan say, I heard you the fifth time you said it. Now we're on 20. I think God said, I, I heard you, but that's all right. Keep saying it. We should be in such hot pursuit of Jesus. You know the biggest problem in, our, in today's Christianity? We want Jesus the consultant, not Jesus the Lord. We don't want Jesus the Lord that we surrender to whatever he says. We want to consult him, see what he thinks about it, but then go do whatever we want to in the process. If we like Jesus' idea... We'll run with it. But if we think ours is better, we'll run with it. We just look at him as a consultant. The problem, listen, if you consult him and then listen and do what he says, that's great. The problem is we consult him, but then do what we think is great. We think it's better. And that was one of the biggest uh, problems. True Christianity is committed Christianity. God is asking us all to go, go all in with following him, to take our plans and say, here they are, God. What do you want from me? Whatever you want. Here, here they are. Here's my life. Even if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to follow you. I mean, think about Simon, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew. None of these guys had a clue when they said, when they said yes, we'll follow you where Jesus was taking them. They just said he's worth following. He's worth following. There's a great story in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is invited, and I'm closing with this. Jesus invited, uh, he's invited by this Pharisee's home to have dinner. And the Bible says this in verse 37 of Luke 7. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The Bible says a sinful woman. Most theologians believe she is a prostitute. Which asked the question, what would make this woman so brazen? has to come into the home of a Pharisee uninvited. And not only that, but she goes to the guest of honor, sits behind him and weeps, cries so much that her tears produce enough water that she could actually wash his feet with her tears. And then she lets down what we would consider tools of the trade, her hair. That was your glory. A woman's hair was her glory. Let's it down and begins to dry 
his feet and then pours this expensive bottle of perfume on. See, to everybody else in the room, this was illogical. It did not make sense at all. It was illogical to everyone, everybody but the woman and Jesus. What would make her do that? Simple. This woman had lived her whole life on her terms. And it had left her empty. And somewhere, somehow, she had heard about this man named Jesus that sat down with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, that didn't make, that even though people were lepers, he didn't let it keep him, but he came close. And he sat down with them. He, and they didn't treat, he, Jesus didn't treat these people as secondhand citizens. She heard about it. And she heard that he was at this Pharisee's home. And she walked on and she said, if this is true what they say about him, this is a man worth following. It's a man worth following. No matter if people looked at her like she had lost her mind. No lost her uh, a year's wages, which is what most people think that bottle of perfume was worth. No matter, she was going to follow Jesus. And of course, the Pharisees that had invited Jesus, they not only began to judge the woman, but they judged Jesus also. Look what it says in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, huh, if this man were really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus, of course, knows what the guy's thinking. He begins to go and tell this story about, hey, who's more grateful? The one who has a large debt and it gets forgiven or the one that has a small debt and it gets forgiven? And the, and the Pharisee's like, well, of course, the woman with the large debt, that, you know, he said, well, this woman, she had many sins, but they've all been forgiven. Matthew 26 talks about this same encounter. This woman of Jesus says that when the woman poured out the perfume at Jesus' feet, it was so illogical that even one of his disciples was like, are you serious? Do you realize how much that perfume costs? We could have sold it and gave the money to the poor. So it didn't make sense even to his disciples what the woman was doing. But then there's this great verse that ends this story in Matthew what Jesus says about this woman, because she was willing to follow no matter cause, it says this, verse 13. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are over 2,000 years later talking about what this woman did. Why? Because she made a decision I'm going to cling to Jesus. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it inconveniences me. I don't care how it looks to others. I don't care. I'm going to cling to Jesus. If I can get Bob, I want him to come on up. German pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said this. The followers of Jesus, for his sake, renounce every personal right. And if after giving up everything else for his sake, they still wanted to cling to their own rights, 
they would then have ceased to follow him. Here's the bottom of one, uh, line. You're either clinging to Jesus or you're clinging to your own personal rights. It's the bottom line. You cannot cling to your own personal rights and follow Jesus. So let me ask you, are you, are you so clinging to your idea of what your life should look like? Are you so clinging to how you think things should be? Is there any area of your life that you are clinging to so tight that there is no room for God to step in and do something better? Is there room for God to step in and say, I know I, you, you saw your life going this way, but I've got something different for you. Is there room for God to step in and say, I know you're hurt and I know you're angry even with me, but I've got purpose for that pain. Are you so committed to holding on to that hurt or that unforgiveness that there isn't any room for God to come in and say, I know you were hurt. I know you were abandoned. I know you were molested. I know you went through a lot. Of, but would you allow me to take that and make sure that it doesn't get wasted? See, the only, the only way our pain, our hurt can get, get wasted is if we allow it because God wastes nothing. Are you so committed to holding on to what you thought should have happened, what you thought God should have done, that God can't even step in and heal you, heal your heart, heal your mind, heal your spirit, because you're so glued to this hurt that he can't separate you from it. One of the interesting stories about Naomi and Ruth is this. You read that story, it was clear Naomi was going through a lot. In fact, when she arrived back into her hometown, they were like, oh, Naomi's back. She says, don't call me Naomi. Because God has dealt bitterly with me. She was going through a lot. But I wonder, when I think about this, what knowing, knowing that Naomi lost a husband, knowing Naomi lost two sons, how, how, how committed to following God was she? That an outsider, a non-believer, saw her walking through her pain. That she says, you know what? Knowing what she's going through, and she's still committed to following, let your people be my people, and your God be my God. Let me tell you, what are we doing with her pain? Are we camping out there in her pain? So that nobody can see God do a work. I'm not denying the pain. I'm not denying you were hurt. But there comes a time when you've got to step out of that and allow God to do a work inside you. Stand with me. Cling to Jesus. Man, especially when you go through crap you don't understand. Cling to him. Run to him. Pursue him. Catch him. I, don't believe, I believe there are those in here, you've not all and out walked away from Jesus. But you have disconnected yourself. And you are nowhere clinging to him like you used to. You were at one time. And Jesus is wooing you back. 
Some of you have said that because I followed Jesus as long as it looks like what I think it should look like. I follow Jesus as long as it doesn't get too hard, as long as it doesn't inconvenience me. I follow Jesus as long as in this world you will have trouble. But cling to him. Let's bow us closed. I'm gonna, I feel the need to do a couple different altar services. One, you're here. And you used to be so tight. You were, you were clinging to God. You were clinging to Jesus. But I don't know what happened in your life. But you kind of detached yourself from him and even others. And you know that's not where you to be. You've camped out in your idea of what things should look like or how things should have went down. You've camped out in your unforgiveness. You've camped out in your hurt, in your pain. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Cling to me. Here's the thing. I know you're here. Now, I'm talking, I know there's several here that you need to return today. I'm not saying you've been out sinning. and I'm just saying you have become disconnected. And today you need to reattach and say, God, I'm following you no matter what. Jesus, I'm following you no matter what. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to count to three. If you know that's you, no hand raised. I want you to step out and find your way up here. As hard as it may be, Take the step. Take the step. Take the step. One, two, three. Take the step. Take the step.